0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Firesider a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Hey, hey! You're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. It's a gorgeous, sunny day here in Brooklyn, and we're here at Roberta's Pizza as usual. But we're joined by a great guest. Uh, His name is Derek Dellinger. He is the author of the new book, The Fermented Man: A Year on the Front Lines of a Food Revolution. Um, So, Derek. Uh, we usually start the program talking about some news in food of the last week or so. This doesn't have to do with fermented foods, but but hopefully you can, um, uh, you know, share some insight on this. Um, so soda's been in the news a bit recently. Um, Philadelphia passed the first soda tax, and uh, it's actually pretty controversial. So a lot of folks are, are um, hailing this as a victory for public health. Um, basically, it's like they're treating soda like cigarettes you know it's like a, a danger um it's still legal but if you want it you have to pay it a little extra for it um and then others are saying even bernie sanders chimed in on this and said that it disproportionately affects um folks who are poor um by you know who otherwise would like to have soda and now it's a little bit more expensive of course the soda companies are furious their sales have uh, seen decline steadily for the last 10 years as other other drinks and beverages, uh, presumably most of them are more healthy than soda, um, have taken a lot of market share. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Derek? And and also, you know, the, the big question is, OK, so Philly passed this. What about other cities now? Is it going to be a domino effect? Um,
3: yeah, it's I, certainly I not the first time it's come up. I, I, right. I, you know, for sure. Um, and like you said, their sales, I think, are already hurting. And I imagine they're going to continue to see a decline in sales mm-hmm. regardless of the taxes so you know I wonder if you know the tax almost uh, over time becomes irrelevant one way or the other uh, yeah. just as as competing options and uh, awareness of the health ramifications of soda mm-hmm. increase and I mean there's probably going to be the pushback against the taxes but the same effect might be achieved even if they you know don't end up inspiring a domino effect with it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a big, strong statement to say that this right. soda is bad for you. Um, you know, you're a healthy food advocate. So I, I feel like a lot of people are a little bit torn, though, because of the way that this might may affect people of lower income.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I can't really say that I am necessarily in favor of, you know, just immediately taxing everything exactly like what if we tax candy right i mean you can i hate to go Mm. to the slippery slope fallacy thing but like you can very easily see how there's a slippery slope Mm -hmm. uh, concern there so uh, i think it's beneficial just from the kind of like gimmicky standpoint of making clear that you know the the government sees this is not clearly not good for you Mm -hmm. uh and and maybe hopefully not have to actually get that carried away with taxing soda across the board and just finding ways to more raise that awareness without actually, you know, penalizing, uh, people who maybe just want to have a, a soda every now and then can't really afford it, but even
2: like the fancy sodas. And I think one, one thing that's interesting, and and this really parallels the craft beer movement and, and you're a brewer, Right. Um, Right. So you've seen this, this has been happening for like, what, 10 years now, um, large beer companies are buying up smaller craft brands because they keep eating away at their market share. Um, so Coca Cola and Pepsi's response has been to launch their own craft soda lines. I, I was particularly amused. I'm reading an article in Mother Jones by Tom Philpot. Um, he's talking about the new PepsiCo craft line called Stubborn sodas. I don't, I don't get that. But um, inexplicable name. It's flavors including black cherry with tarragon, orange hibiscus, pineapple cream, and agave vanilla cream. And it'll have uh, cane sugar instead of high fructose sweet uh, corn syrup. Um, this sounds to me like it's it's. It, the, even, like, the flavors, it sounds kind of like Brooklyn Soda Works and other sort of craft brands we've seen around New York City. So it, it is interesting how that's really parallel, paralleling, can I say that, uh, the craft beer
3: movement. I think that's a great observation because uh, you, you see the same thing of the large companies trying to compete, compete with the uh, innovative smaller companies sort of uh, put out these kind of crude facsimiles of what the, the smaller, innovative, mm-hmm. healthier, you know, uh, better-made companies are making. Uh, and all I all it really did in the you know in the case of the beer world is just kind of draw attention to the <laughs> fact that there were better options out there, and everyone sees through everyone sees through the big companies kind of you know sad Does, attempts to do
2: they do they know that like uh,
3: well yeah uh, they, not everyone certainly that's hard.
2: but
1: yeah. yeah it's
3: not like they're it's not like big companies aren't making money but a lot of these kind of very obvious uh you know the, the beer world has seen a lot of like failed attempts by the bigger breweries shock to kind top. of yeah <laughs> you know shock top certainly doesn't do as well as blue moon and like then there's a million you know imitators beyond that and they don't always do well and i think they just help draw attention to mm-hmm. what they're trying to compete against when you know when this giant lumbering company is all of a sudden putting out products that are completely, uh, very clearly meant to compete with something else. Yes. The consumer all all, all, all of a sudden is aware that there's something they're trying to there's compete against. There's something
2: wrong here yeah, so. <laughs> in the <that> world. <laughs> What about them snapping up the smaller breweries? So, you know, that brewery in a tough place would easily...
3: Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, there's endless debate about that in the beer world. Um, You know, both sides get very, very passionate, and it keeps happening, so the debate seems to be never-ending. And it's it's really tough to have, uh, you know, have an unbiased view on it, because in every individual case, you can kind of understand the position of the small brewer being bought... You know, it's really tough industry. It's a really tough job. It can really, really start to wear on you after a while. And maybe you just want to enjoy the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. you worked hard for ten years to start a company and a couple million dollars. It. I'm sure mm-hmm. looks really good. And I, you know, I can't entirely fault any one individual for wanting to maybe just like change their life a bit and, and have mm-hmm. some money. Uh, at the same time, it's you know, I don't think it's a good thing. Uh, In the broader, broader scheme of things, Mm -hmm. I certainly don't think it's a good trend to have it continue happening because it's exactly what happened 150 years ago or well, (laughs) not that not even that long ago, 60 years ago. And, you know, if it keeps consolidating, that's that's not good for anyone. That
2: is really that's really a good point. Well, um, you are a brewer and you decided to change your life in a very different way.
3: Yeah, (laughs) I guess. Strange way. (laughs)
2: And not for money. (laughs) I don't know. No, no. Well, there's not so
3: much money in the publishing world. Yeah. Yeah. We
2: know. But, um, okay. So Derek, what inspired you to go for one year eating only fermented foods? And now I know that, you know, fermenting is super huge right now and it's a very big, um, positive trend I think in eating and, and, uh, drinking as well. Right. But you went strictly fermented everything.
3: Uh, yeah for the year of of 2014 with the exception
2: of water (laughs) (laughs) with the exception of
3: water yeah had to had to uh stay hydrated uh yeah and
2: you're alive like i'm alive you don't seem like a crazy person but don't seem
3: crazy or hopefully uh severely malnourished um No, I mean it was uh, the book is is actually very meta about it being a very clearly you know kind of over the top diet and mm-hmm. and a lot of what inspired me or, or uh, interested me in, in going through with the project was how I could use it to explore uh, Americans' fascination with extreme diets. Right, I mean, Americans right. in particular seem to have just uh, an utter fascination with you know really strict or, or you know diets that exclude one thing it's like this miracle
2: juice cleanse right, right like
3: all they have to like you want to find that one thing that you can eliminate from your diet and it's just going to fix everything for you um we seem to have this you know just fascination with how how eating works how diets work and obviously it's very difficult to uh come up with uh you know uh, across the board healthy diet for everyone because it's health is something with so many variables. It's not the same for any one person. Right. So there never is going to be like one miracle cure all diet. It's a complicated issue. Um, right. so, so you're not
2: advocating that any everyone should. This is not like a diet book saying everyone should not. eat diet right. or fermented foods only. But right. this is sort of like a comment on perhaps the the momentum around the fad of fermented yeah so where the idea came
3: from uh i was a brewer and a writer both um you know beforehand had been looking for i wrote a a homebrewing fermentation blog for a number of years and i was just kind of thinking of ways to uh convey the ubiquity of fermentation to the general you know general public um, and I had this idea because I was getting more into fermented foods after having been a homebrewer of beer and cider and kombucha for a number of years. Uh, it just kind of occurred to me one day, like shopping, that the same species of uh, bacteria, lactobacillus, is uh, found in pretty much, uh, you know, most most fermented foods, which in turn encompass a much greater range of food in general than people realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fermentation is this hugely powerful and important and ubiquitous thing that's been in you know traditional foods and foods that we take for granted for thousands of years and it just covers so much range and most people don't have any inkling of this most people when i would explain uh the diet to them just could not understand what i possibly would be eating right. and that was kind of the hook for me the the idea that uh, one that there's so much fermented food out there that you could actually live off of it. Yeah, I had I that
2: surprise. Yeah, you know? we're looking at like folks eating pizza right now and the right. bread, it's <laughs> yeast bread you know, is fermented. Fermented. Yeah. I didn't know, but the cheese also. Cheese
3: mozzarella is uh, a kind of uh, dicey one where like you can you can make it a fermented way and mm-hmm. you can make it uh, with just an enzymatic reaction that it uh, it's made very quickly and there's no fermentation involved. So mozzarella is like a bad cheese example. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, but you can easily make uh, uh, pizza, obviously with cheese that is fermented, which okay. is pretty much almost any other cheese. Um, the vast majority of cheese is fermented. Right. Obviously if, if something is aged for weeks or months or years, fermentation is almost always involved. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I had this realization that, okay, fermentation is incredibly ubiquitous and wow, I could actually probably live off of fermented foods. And that was just like a crazy thought experiment I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally at first I was like, oh, I should tweet that. Just just like that. It just popped in my head. That was mm-hmm. just a thought. And it kind of snowballed from there. Um, I talked to, uh, again, kind of randomly without really thinking, oh, I would actually do this. Talked to uh, a guy who's a book editor. He really liked the idea and kind of encouraged me to explore it more. Um, and we thought this was a really good way to get the interest of people who, again, would read this and, and just wonder how I could do it. Wonder what fermentation means. People who are not already invested in the world of fermentation people who don't own uh, a sander katz guidebook on, mm-hmm. on fermentation or aren't going to buy a guidebook explaining how to make things at home because they're not even that far into it they just want to know what this you know this crazy thing is uh that i did and hopefully you know hopefully this book allows a, a much a broader range of people who are not necessarily you know, already advanced home
2: Right, and not a a scientist yet or anything like that, but it's just a personal story. I really love how this really captures the the zeitgeist around Mm -hmm. fermentation in that um, sort of tongue-in-cheek way, but it also offers a lot of exploration about the cultures, (laughs) no pun intended, (laughs) and, you know, the history um, throughout the world of of fermentation. It's really something to to geek out about if, you know... It's a great compliment, I guess, um, to folks who are fermenting things. And certainly over the summer, when you have too much veggies, right. you know, you got cabbage coming out of your ears. You might want to try making kimchi or something. This is a great little um, companion to it. So yeah.
3: and it's so easy to get started. A lot of people who again see it as okay, there's you know this huge scientific or uh, biology element to it, or you know it's advanced cooking or whatever. But it's so easy to get started to ferment. You know, a lot of vegetables that take no more time to to start fermenting than making a salad so maybe you know maybe some people who are just curious to find out what fermentation means will mm-hmm. will be able to just, you know have, gain the courage I to thought, start making I it.
2: thought I knew a bit about fermentation. I've been a huge fan of Sander Alex Katz for mm-hmm. a while, and I did not know a lot of the foods that you explored. So I really want to talk about um, some of these more interesting fermented foods that you explored um, after the break. But first, I'm just curious if you had any, like, uh inspirations for this book any like interesting weird stunt diets that uh or 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 mentors and maybe chefs or something doing cool stuff and fermenting um brewers
3: uh, yeah i mean sandor katz i was actually uh, really really inspired by his books and mm-hmm. and the uh depth and and uh how extensively he covers the world of fermentation and He's coming the,
2: up with an updated version of oh is it? oh that's yeah. i didn't actually and know Paul, that that's yeah?
3: fantastic yeah he covers so much ground in that mm-hmm. book i bought that you know years ago and i was looking through it and, and it's fascinating i mean you can you can dive into it from so many different angles whether i'm not a scientist no uh, yeah with neither my background. is he actually right mm-hmm. so if you're just a cre- I, i'm an english major i mean i'm a writer um so the creative side of it is what captivated me so you can look at it from The same is true with any fermented food or drink, really, in a microcosm, too. Like beer, you can approach from an engineering angle uh building things or biology or chemistry or
2: spontaneously ferment too spontaneous there's that fermentation. side of beer yeah. brewing maybe not best for like a commercial brewery but well no
3: I mean a, a that's something that a home. lot of commercial breweries really? are getting into I mean we've actually done that at my brewery at Kent Falls um and it's something that the beer geeks are really latching onto is like a, wow. you know, a trendy new uh not trendy I mean it's actually very very old, old. But yeah. Style. Yeah. Belgium, um, yeah but very exciting very interesting and you know, it captivates people that this process is possible and that it works and then it creates this immensely complicated, uh, complex beverages, really not comparable to anything else you're ever going to find because it's mm. gone through so many unique, uh, life cycles and stages of fermentation. There's no way to compare it to anything else because there's nothing else really like it.
2: Wow. That is really fascinating. Um, let's hear more from, uh, your book right after a quick little commercial break.
1: If I come into a party hidden rats like this, all you superficial rappers will cease to exist. If I come into a party hidden rats like this, all you superficial rappers will cease to exist. You're listening to superficial rappers <laughs> by a If I come into a party hidden rats like Today's program was brought to you by Firesider. Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Fire Cider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture. And delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Firesider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Firesider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com.
2: All right, we're back chatting more with Derek Dellinger, whose new book is a memoir, The Fermented Man. Uh, one year exploring only fermented foods. Now, okay, a lot of questions come to mind immediately. Um, saltiness, because a lot of things are salty. Sauerkraut, uh, right? Yeah. Because you mean- have to add salt to let it ferment.
3: Yeah, that was a concern, and a lot of people asked me. You know, are you worried about your blood pressure? Are you worried about the amount of salt you're eating? And I was. Cured um, you know,
2: foods, yeah, right. The right. aged cheeses—they're always the saltiest.
3: They yeah, you know, by necessity, fermentation generally includes a lot of salt. But uh, you know, what I realized—I uh, would go to the doctor, and my blood pressure actually went down. Um, you know, everything Everything looked good, and I felt healthy throughout the year, despite it being kind of hard to get enough calories some days. That was the only kind of drawback of it uh, right. in general. I You know, I, I felt great throughout the year. Uh, and what I realized is, you know, one, it wasn't necessarily like I was just eating pounds and pounds of salami, like or the <laughs> saltiest foods all the time. A lot of the stuff I was getting most of my calories from, bread and, and uh, cultured butter and you know
1: mm.
3: mo- you know, most cheeses are, are salty but not like just not just dripping with salt you know mm-hmm. um most of those yogurt, foods are not yogurt yeah exactly so a lot of the stuff that i was getting uh calories from you know i had a good amount of salt in but in general fermented foods you know they have more salt obviously than their raw equivalents but not so much compared to the amount of salt we get in just the average American diet, and right even in a fairly healthy diet. Where you're so you eating couldn't out eat or,
2: McDonald's or right. anything like processed, really, right? Um, then, so that's cut out of your diet,
3: exactly, completely. exactly. So a lot of processed foods that are also high in salt, probably more so than fermented mm-hmm. foods, were gone from my diet, and uh, you know I couldn't really eat too much at restaurants, and restaurant food tends yeah. to have a lot of salt. Um,
2: so you kind of were like were like me. I did this thing where I didn't go to
3: restaurants for 2 right, years. So right, that's
2: yeah. yeah, you had to kind of make everything.
3: Yeah, or yeah.
2: find it fermented.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I mean it crazy. was a lot of uh the the big trend I found was I found myself eating uh, more simply, like eating uh eating foods in their kind of original component yeah. separately, you know, just uh, this maybe the same thing that you yeah. would eat in a sandwich, even non-fermented, kind of the same items, but In their fermented forms, obviously. Um, And I would just be like, well, why should I take the time to make a sandwich? I'm just going to eat some cheese Mm -hmm. and some prosciutto and some bread and butter and pickles on the side. and you know, uh, some kombucha, eating eating things with uh, as their own elements, mm-hmm. eating things simply, and you, I think, have a tendency to eat less when you do that. Um, yeah. when you're kind of sticking to the core components and and not making elaborate dishes the way that you get food when you go out to a restaurant generally. And Isn't you have-
2: that funny? It's not as it's more simple, but actually. Molecularly it's much more complicated. Right. It's right. more complex. So. Right. But I, I think it's I think that, you know, doing what you did, like taking this, you know, crazy self imposed diet, really like even just reading this, it like opened my eyes to a lot of other possibilities, as I'm sure it did you, um, about food. So like for example, like, you know, I guess we're looking at the pizza people are eating here and I'm thinking like the sauce. Okay, it's just you know tomato sauce, but you could easily ferment that just a little bit, and I'm sure it tastes delicious.
3: It's great, yeah. It adds like kind of uh, you know a life to it, a Mm -hmm. zip. uh, You know, it's hard to yeah, it's hard to quantify the flavors of fermentation. But right, I I know exactly what you mean because like
2: a chef recently prepared this dish where he had this his own sort of fermented, um, slightly fermented salsa as as a sauce. And it just made all the difference. Yeah. You know, instead of the freshness, it had this interesting kind of uh, d- savoriness.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's this kind that's of like cool. intangible, lively umami character to, mm-hmm. to things. And you can do, you know, the, the pizza was super easy because I could just, uh, you know, do something as simple as throwing cherry tomatoes in a jar. All you yes. have to do is cover them in a brine and they just Ooh. ferment on their own and just slice them on top of a pizza or Wait. eat them whole. Cool. And it's it's requires no effort whatsoever. Like you're literally just putting cherry tomatoes in a jar, full of salt water brine, and just letting the lid a little loose, and that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. So it can be like the easiest thing in the world to prepare.
2: So let's talk about some of these less uh, familiar, at least to me, fermented foods that you tried. So you ate uh, hakari. Which is a rotten shark meat.
3: <laughs> right. Uh, so the Icelandic uh, tradition of rotten shark meat Cute. is commonly yeah, commonly referred to as one of the foulest smelling and most disgusting foods in the world. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a rite of passage well, for celebrity how chefs. how was it? Uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I think the celebrity That's chefs stunning. maybe blow yeah. it out of proportion a little bit. Um it's certainly a very unique experience i won't I, I have more of a texture thing so there were probably some other things i could have found i uh, like this wait sweet... you
2: hated the texture no the texture was okay because okay. it, uh-huh. it was just
3: kind of like tough fish meat oh
2: okay um, That's right. but it
3: wasn't it there was nothing really slimy. like yeah it wasn't like slimy or like uh really out of you know out of the range of what you think of when you're thinking like okay some kind of fish meat it just smelled really really strongly and um so it's it's made from the greenland shark and the greenland shark um
2: i've never had shark i don't think either uh, this
3: may be the only time i've actually had shark yeah. um yeah i really like i really wanted to seek this out for the for the book because uh, it's just it's so kind of legendary in food circles um yeah the the shark uh it uses its urea as a kind of antifreeze because it Great. can dive to really, really, really uh, uh, low depths in the ocean. Um, it's just this incredible, like, prehistoric monster. Uh, <laughs> essentially, like, if you eat the, the shark without uh, curing it, fermenting it properly, you will just start, like, vomiting blood because it's Whoa. super poisonous. Uh, wow. So the Icelanders had to find some way to live off of this stuff without killing themselves or um, the
2: shark eating them
3: or the shark eating them. Yeah. Once, once they got past that important point <laughs> and managed to kill the shark, they had to, to somehow prepare the meat. So they'd bury it in the ground uh, for a couple of months and then hang it like, uh, like prosciutto chunks in a, you know, dry mm-hmm. open, open side cabin uh, to cure, uh, so it's this long process that kind of the fermentation removes the the, the poisonous elements from it and makes it uh, something that's digestible and safe to eat for humans. But it still reeks of ammonia, and it kind of, like, burns mm-hmm. your throat and your nostrils as you're eating it. And it just lingers. It just doesn't go away. Like, we we're you're supposed to uh, chase it with an Icelandic, um, like, kind of national drink. Vodka. Um, uh, she- okay. um, and it's this—I actually forget. It's— some kind of liqueur with uh, herbs. Did you in do it. that? I, I tried that yeah. separately, and it's it's actually pretty good. But the uh, they didn't have any when we had the shark, <laughs> so we had nothing to chase it with. And it's just like secreting our in our in our nostrils and throats. And we tried to wash it down with this like twelve percent ABV imperial stout later, like the heaviest beer uh-huh, you could uh-huh. possibly imagine. Nope. It just tasted like de- uh-huh. like rotten shark meat, just like ammonia and
2: worst breath ever. And fit, fish.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> so you must have hated this one if you're not a texture a, a gooey texture person. But the, I I've, I actually kind of like this. It's natto.
3: Right. I expected Fermented to really beans. hate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it has like the the, the slimy mucus-y. mucus. Yep. <laughs> (laughs) I expected to have a lot of trouble with that. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I didn't. Um, I actually not bad, right? I actually definitely enjoyed that too. Um, It it tastes pretty good. It's got this kind of just like sort of bitter quality that's really interesting. But like the umami. interesting flavor and for some reason i was able to transform in my mind the texture thing Mm -hmm. to like well it's kind of like melted cheese like that kind of stringiness (laughs) not like slimy mucusy gross (laughs) thing for some reason i was able to do that the one that i really don't think i could ever do again was the the century eggs the uh
2: thousand year eggs
3: thousand year eggs yeah which are fermented for a couple months not actually a hundred years or a thousand years um you, you know you can find them in Chinatown uh they're they look like geodes they're kind yep. of this green mucus I looking love them. really <laughs> yeah. oh man I just the texture and the sight of it burned into my yeah
2: into my it, mind be crazy. I, 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 but I'm, the texture is pretty similar to regular hard-boiled eggs it,
3: it is but it has this kind of like harder like gummy fruit That's like true. that doesn't quite I don't and you know it's one of these things can't quite explain it but my mind was like nope not mm. can't Mm-hmm. And that one was the one I had a lot of trouble Century with. eggs. Wow. Yeah.
2: Everyone's different. Okay. Yeah. Um. What about this Sudanese dish? I've never heard of um, before. Your book, uh, Shermoot miris and dotary
3: yeah they all sound really really interesting i have not managed to track those down yeah these, not been but the Sudan. you
2: comment um, on on how you know each, each each culture it seems has their own crazy you know way of fermenting things and preserving you know the shark or what right. have you so this is the sudanese way of uh preserving their livestock um you know, a huge hulking animal.
3: Yeah. The meat, and they so. use everything, the bones, the fat and make some very interesting things out of it. And what's, what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of these examples uh, you'd expect it just to be like, well, mm-hmm. there's not much to eat. They have to choke this stuff down to survive mm-hmm. a little choice. But you know, in those examples, they're, they're considered delicacies. They're considered uh, a lot, a lot of times condiments like, you know, kimchi or, the way we you know now just put mustard and ketchup on everything which cheese
2: aged, yeah, yeah. so wine. they're
3: they're for flavor yeah all these mm-hmm. you know all these fermented things are not just you know eaten because we're really desperate and we need food to survive in almost every case there are, you know they're these kind of complex flavors that we come to really cherish and uh integrate into our cultures as you know part of our cultural identity um and they're very unique they stand out they're certainly you know distinct foods with distinct flavors. And we come to really appreciate that.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. So going back to your, I guess, uh, kind of recap of the whole year of eating only fermented foods, how do you think this affected your health? Cause a lot of people, you know, talk about probiotics. It's good because it helps you digest the other stuff you're eating, Right. but you're not eating other stuff. So were you just really good at digesting?
3: <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I certainly, I mean, yeah, my, I don't even my, know what that
2: looks like, but right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I suppose I probably was very good at digesting. Uh, you know, it's hard to say any, any like, scientifically credible, uh, take any scientifically credible claims. So How did you feel? I felt great. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I definitely was hungry a lot of the time. It was certainly hard to get enough calories because this was a very limit, limited, arbitrary diet. Like, I, Like I said, it's not something that... Uh, unless Oprah wants to offer me a couple million dollars or something. I'm You're not, not I'm say not promoting this, it as like, yeah, yeah this the magic new diet. diet. Yeah. No, I, I was very clear about that in, in the book and from the beginning that, like, this is uh, an, an anecdotal experiment, not a scientific one, um, and something I was doing more for a education. Lesson, yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was... You know, it was for the, the narrative of a book and the ability to educate people on all the different remedies. But it's
2: still pretty cool to know that you can do that. You can, you can live do it off if of you it. want. Yeah. yeah. And
3: um, my editor actually did a, a sympathy month, as he called it. He did the same experiment for a month in, in October. Um, found a lot of the same things. You know, it's. I actually felt really good. I mean, I had a lot of energy. Uh, I think it changed my diet in a lot of interesting ways, uh, as far as, like I said, eating simply, mm-hmm. feeling better about eating just. Maybe maybe higher calorie foods than people are normally comfortable comfortable with, but I was eating them in simpler you know broken down small portions that it, it was satiated without you know eating this huge elaborate meal. Um, I kind That's of learned a, a very
1: learn, yeah. different
3: way of eating, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and certainly, I've obviously, integrated a lot more fermented foods into my diet than before this year, um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, other than being hungry, it's it, it, no one. No one is going to do this exact diet. So, just incorporating a lot of fermented foods into your diet, I think you're going to notice a lot of positive changes. Right, and right. just uh, that's hopefully the goal of this is to encourage people. You know, obviously, you're not going to live off fermented food like I did, but. Uh, it's very easy to incorporate a bunch of these into your diet uh, mm-hmm. to a much greater degree than most of us have for the last couple of decades. Yeah.
2: Well, I love that, you know, the biggest takeaway for me reading this book was seeing food in a different way throughout it. So it's a, it's an enlightening book, I think. And, it, and I'm so glad that you shared the journey. Um, cool. I guess that's about all the time we have for today before we dig into a pizza. Um, but thanks so much, Derek, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And check out the fermented man from Overlook Press coming out in July. Uh, thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
0: Ooh, I like the way you do. Whoa, the way you took it so slow.
1: And Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So dot org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network.